So, Galatians chapter 6, two more Sundays, and the equation that we've been using for Galatians, and if you're new or, or recent with us, we'll, we'll catch you up really quickly, and, and we've been talking a lot this morning about Jesus, right? But, but essentially, the, equa the equation we've been using is Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And the problem that Paul had with the church of Galatia, again, writing two-thirds of the New Testament, Paul planted a lot of the churches that he writes to. Um, he was very involved relationally with the people that he's writing to. But the problem that he had is that there were some people, uh, some false teachers, that were wreaking havoc among the Christians in Galatia. And they were coming in and they were causing chaos and confusion. And we've talked about that, right? That, that you can know there's false teaching among you. You can know that there's a false gospel among you if there's chaos and confusion. And so we've talked about that. And Paul um, really has been using his own testimony. He's been reminding them of their testimony and of the, of the glory of God, right? And trying to make an appeal to them to get back to their first love. Get back to the things you were doing at first, like he talks about in the book of Revelation. We know um, if, if we watch the news for 30 seconds, or more, right? If we if we if we're on social media, if we're if we're if we're you know in coffee shops and listen to conversations, right? Or even if we just sit still and observe culture, right? We know we know that there are false gospels among us today. Can we agree on that? Right? There are false gospels among us today. There are people out there, right, for their personal gain to 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 embrace and expand their platforms. Right in various areas and various arenas, there are people whose focus, even faithful people that have been a part of the faith for a long time, right, can lose focus for any number of reasons because there are so many false gospels that are prevalent among us, right? But here's the thing if we get the gospel wrong with these distorted gospels, distracting gospels, confusing gospels, and we're going to get to what the gospel is in just a moment, good news of Jesus, right? But if we get the message of the gospel wrong and we say it's Jesus plus the way that you dress, Jesus plus money, Jesus plus whatever, right? You put the, the, the blank in there. If we get this wrong, if we get the truth of God's word wrong, it means two things for us. Number one, it means this, that people don't actually enjoy the salvation that Jesus died for on the cross. That's big. And we talk about that quite often, right? That, that, that Jesus, we, we said it last Sunday, uh, John 20, 21, many other signs and wonders were written that were not, or were done, that were not written in this book, but these are written that you might have a life and live it to the full. Jesus didn't go to the cross. God did not send his one and only son to the cross so that this gathering, so that everything we're about could be lame and boring. That's not the point. And if that's the point, and if that's the message we've been given, then it's false. It's false. It's false. And so, if, but if we communicate, if we live a false gospel, a false message, we don't actually enjoy the salvation that Jesus died for on the cross because we don't get it. We don't get it. The second thing, if there's a false gospel, right, if there's a false message being preached, then God is not glorified because it's not about him. Right? If, the, if, if a false message, if a false gospel is being preached, then God is not glorified. And hear me, church, this morning, we should not be okay with that. Right. We should not be okay with that. We are here 
We are here, whether you realize it or not, some of you here may be here because you were dragged, kicking and screaming this morning. You were woken up rudely and said you're, you're going to church, like it or not, right? Some of you were bribed to come here, right? We can go to Blue Big if you just come to church, right? Some of you were bribed, right? Right? I mean, I, I, okay? Right? Right? What, but whatever reason you are here for this morning, I want you to know the reason that we do this is not for you, it's for the glory of God. And that should be, hear me, the motivator of the heart for each and every one of us to be here. The glory of God. That he is awesome and he is incredible. And we get to, in response, worship him, right? Raise his name up, lift his name up in the midst of anything that we're walking through. Because everything that we do is about the glory of God. Come on this morning. Yes. We all right? Yes. Y'all ready for some preaching? All right, good. This side of the room is. Y'all still sleep. All right. Because we don't get it, right? So God's not glorified. We should not be okay with that. Listen, two things. We want people to meet Jesus and for God to get the glory. We want people to meet Jesus. Right? We want people... We want people to meet Jesus because he's the only one. I can't do it. No one else in the room can do it, right? He's the only one that can change your life. He's the only one that can restore. He's the only one that can reconcile. He's the only one that can offer hope. He's the only one that can offer grace, right? We want people to meet Jesus and for God to give glory. Amen. We want people to meet Jesus and for God to give glory. So let's go back to our gospel definition, then we'll jump into Galatians chapter 6. Okay, the gospel is the good news, right? The gospel is a, is a word that just means good news. Good news about what? That Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead so that through faith in him, we can be, we can be made right with God and enjoy life with him forever. So that we can be made right with God and enjoy life with him forever. One of the false gospels that Paul is addressing in this passage, in this book of Galatians that we've been talking through for the last 10 weeks, and we've got today and next week, two more, right? But one of the, one of the false gospels that he's been talking about, that he's been addressing is this, that religion, legalism, is about appearance, and the gospel is about power. That religion... Legalism is about appearance. It's about how things look, right? You, you, you can say all the things you want to in the car on the way to church, right? You can say all those things, but, but there's something, there's a shift that happens when you turn off of 114, right, onto the middle school road, then you turn into the parking lot, everybody turns the frowns upside down, you walk in and everything, the, we have to give the appearance, even if it's not, that everything's okay because we're going into church, right? Because we're going into church. Let me say something. That's not what Jesus is about. Jesus gave the gift of the church so that this could be a place where you could take the mask off and just be real with a group of people that know exactly what it's like to walk in your shoes. Yes. Religion is about appearance. The gospel is about power. The gospel is about power. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning for the next two or three hours. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Notice that. Everybody say spirit of gentleness. Spirit. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? 
You who are spiritual should restore him in spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Jesus is saying, look, if you, if you follow me, it's not that you're not going to be tempted. Right? Right? That he, he, he doesn't promise that. Right? But keep a watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Jesus knows what it's like. In fact, I believe it's Hebrews that says he was tempted in every way we are, yet remained without sin. Jesus knew the level and the extremity of temptation. Verse 2, we'll get through this, I promise. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. That's huge. For each will have to bear his own load. Verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever uh, one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's talk today about walking in the power of the gospel. You ready? Three points. Number one, when you walk in the power of the gospel, you will not walk alone. When you walk in the power of the gospel, you will not walk alone. It may feel like sometimes you're walking alone, but you will not walk alone. When you walk in the power of the gospel, you will not walk alone. There's 59 one another's in the New Testament. 59 one another's in the New Testament. You look here. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Right? And then look at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. Right? Bear one another's burdens. Here in these 10 verses, we have three one another's. And what Paul is trying to get across, what Jesus is trying to get across in the New Testament, right, is to one another, one another. Right? To one another, one another. Love one another. Bear one another's burdens. All of these things. Right? And here's the thing that Paul is getting across to the Galatians in verse 6, in chapter 6. Right? Is that the legalist is not interested in bearing another's burdens. They're too focused on the standard at which they're trying to get you to rise to. They add to the burden. The, the, the legalist is the, is the person in your life that you can never please. You got somebody like that in your life? Right? They're never satisfied. They're never, don't elbow the person next to you. Okay, I meant outside the room. I meant outside the room. Right? But you have that person in your life, chances are we all do, right? That person in your life that you just can't please. No matter how hard you work, no matter how much you do, no matter how good you are, no matter, you just can't please them, right? Because they're setting a standard. They're not one anothering you, right? They're setting a standard by which the chances are for you to meet that standard are so slim, right, that you almost just want to give up. Right? The legalist is not interested the religion, right, the religious are not interested in bearing one another's burdens. Instead, right, they add to the burdens of others. They're always harder on people than they are on themselves. 
right? They're harder on people than they are themselves. The word for burden, okay, we're going we're to go to school a little bit this morning because I want you to get this, okay? This is important stuff. The Greek word for burden is baros. Say baros. Okay? This does not mean a small irritation or annoyance that we exaggerate to become burdensome. Okay? Fellas, hear me now. Okay? Because we're getting into that season. Okay? A burden is not the man cold. <laughs> I know I'm in touchy water. I use one so I can talk about this. Okay? Right? But a small irritation that we exaggerate to try to make into a real burden. Right? Or some type of, or some type of you know, uh, um, you know, issue that's, that's just small. Right? That's not, that's not classified as burden. Now, hear me. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Okay? Um, I, I, was, I was listening to somebody talk about burdens this past week, and they were talking about arthritis in their finger and saying that's not a burden. But let me tell you something. I have arthritis in my knee. It can be a burden, and it has been for the last year. I didn't realize how much of a burden it was and how much it was affecting me relationally, emotionally, and all those different things physically, right, until it got better, right? I've been a jerk, right? And it's because I had this nagging knee pain, and now I've got this physical therapist that's awesome, right? And he's just yanking on the thing. He's pushing on the thing. He's like, oh, that feels good. And I'm like, I'm like gripping onto the table, wanting to scream at the top of my lungs if there weren't other people in there. Whoo, glory. Right? But I didn't realize how much, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not overplaying this. I'm serious, right? It, it's, it's nagging, right? And so somebody, right? So if you know somebody with arthritis, you know one person with arthritis, right? Because, because everybody just acts up differently and all, all those different things. I talk, I'm getting old. Can you tell? When a preacher starts talking about arthritis, that's a super. He's, he's transitioning, right? Right? Young preacher to old preacher. Right? And so, and, but, but you get the point, right? But a burden is not something light that we make into something big, okay? That, 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 that we're complaining about, that we're just looking for attention over, right? But it does mean, a burden means, this word baros means to be overtaken, right? To be overtaken by something, right? That your being is overtaken by a financial burden. That your being is overtaken by a relational burden. Right, that you that you just can't uh, that you just can't get past. That there's not healing in that relationship. Right, that the, 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 a lack of forgiveness in the relationship or something like that. Right, a burden means something has overtaken you. Right, and the reason that we get barrows is it's an old-fashioned word meaning to misstep or to trip down the stairs. Right, to trip down stairs. Now, this is a little tricky. Right, because we're a room full of people, and anytime you say something like this, you get a little nervous because everybody starts to categorize everybody. Okay, I just want you to look in. What type of person are you? There's three types of people when it comes to burdens. Okay, there's the people that see the problem, see the problems in others, and they just pass by by saying, "Wow," right? Wow, right? You see somebody else's problem, and you just you just walk by, you pass by, you drive by, and you say, "Wow, that's." That's a bad day, right? That's a bad day. Second type of person, right? Those who will inquire and go no further, right? The person that, that pulls up and you've got your hood up and your jumping cables. Your battery's dead? There's your sign, right? Right? Yup, battery's dead. And then they just drop off. Have a good night, right? Those, those types of people in the church, they, they're, they're, they're the type of people that just want to have all the information. They don't want to do anything about it, but they want to be able to gossip about you at the prayer meeting. 
got an minus. <laughs> right? And then number three, a third type of people, right? Those who genuinely have compassion stop and help. Those who genuinely have compassion and stop and help. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's the exact same thing that I was thinking this week as I was studying for this, right? Well, it depends on the situation, right? It depends on the situation. It depends on who the person is. It depends, right? And so what I want to ask you is, what's your natural bend, right? What's your natural lean to? Which type of person are you naturally? In the same way, when we fall or trip up in our Christian lives and our relationships with Jesus and our relationships with each other, right? There will be those who want to run past and not get involved, right? I don't want to touch that, right? That is 10, com 10 kinds of messy, right? And I'm not messy anymore, which we're going to talk about in just a little bit, right? Biggest lie we tell ourselves, right? That's all kinds of mess, and so I'm just going to run past that. I don't want to get involved in that. Then there's those uh, who, who they'll, they'll stop and inquire so they can report all kinds of gossip concerning our fall. And in Scripture, Paul, here in Galatians 6, is urging us to be the third type. That our natural bent is always to bear the other's burden, to stop, to help, to genuinely have compassion. See, unity comes from bearing one another's burdens. Unity comes from bearing one another's burdens. So let's talk about that. In Scripture, there's an illustration of what it means to bear one another's burdens. It's the role of the armor bearer in the Old Testament. You see the armor bearer in Judges 9, 54, 1 Samuel 16, 21, 1 Samuel 31, 16, 2 Samuel 18, 15, 1 Samuel 14, 6 and 7, just, just for a couple of examples. But according to history, the armor bearer was three things. The first was this, a trustworthy and brave servant. That the armor bearer was not one that, 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 that just went around saying, yes, everyone come to me, I will give you advice. Right? The armor bearer was a trusted, a faithful, a brave servant. Secondly, the armor bearer shared in carrying additional weapons. Right? So when you think about kings, when you think about armies, right, armor bearers were important, right? Because, because the armor bearer, if they went, if, if, if they went with the king, right, helped carry the load. Right? Help carry the load. That's what Paul means when he's saying bearing one another's burdens, helping someone carry the load because it's too heavy for one person to carry by themselves. Carry the load. And then thirdly, thirdly, and this gets a little graphic, right? But it's scriptural. The armor bearer would strike the enemy dead that had been wounded by the person whom they were an armor bearer for. What does that mean? They shared in the fight. Right? They shared in the fight. Right? They would go after and they would they would they would they would they would share in the fight. They would clean up the mess. They would pick up the pieces, right? All of these different, all these different things. And here's the deal. If you are going to move out in the power of the gospel, you're gonna need others in your life. Amen. You're gonna need people in your life that are armor bearers that help you carry the load. That help you carry the load, that share in the fight with you. Right? That, that, that are trustworthy and brave servants. And in order to do this, hear me, hear me, hear me. In order to do this, we need to be quick to offer grace and forgiveness and be hard to offend. Amen. 
If we're going to be armor bearers of each other, if we're going to be the family of God that God has called us to be, we've got to be quick, quick, church, to offer grace and forgiveness and hard to offend. Hard to offend. Hard to offend. Quick to offer grace and forgiveness. Hard to offend. So my question this morning is this. How are you? How are you at one another and one another? Not the person next to you, not the person across the aisle. I'm not asking about that. I'm, not, I'm asking you to do a self-evaluation. How are you at one another and one another? And here's the biggest lie that we tell ourselves when we talk about this, right? And I almost, I wrestled with God this week because I'm like, I don't even know if I should go here because I know the temptation. I know if I'm sitting in your seat this morning and I hear this and I'm like, yeah, bearing one another's burdens would be nice if I had time for that. Listen to me, we have time. It's a choice. It's a choice. Well, Pastor, Pastor, look around. I know. Right? I can't one another all these people. I get that. Right? Jesus did 12. You're not Jesus. Right? And so, and so where we go wrong, I think, sometimes is if we place the expectation over ourselves, right? I've got to one another everybody. No, no, no. The body's most effective. Don't forget this. We talk about this all the time. The body's most effective when the body ministers to the body. If you're sitting around Sunday waiting for Pastor Travis to one another you, right, you're, you're going to be disappointed. I can't. I want to, right? And that's the struggle for this guy. That's the struggle for this guy up here is that I want another, I want one another, all of you. I shared the annual meeting on Sunday night. I was like, man, the biggest problem I have with one service, and Kristen was quick to correct me, right? The, uh, because I, I said I, I said I didn't like the one service, right? Now, and, and she's like, no, 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 no. You, 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 you don't mind just preaching one service. Okay, remember that. Okay, dumb dumb, right? Right? But 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 the biggest problem I have with, with the one service is all of you are here at once. And then like if you all must have eleven thirty lunch reservations. Because <laughs> you get out of here so fast, right? I say amen, I'm done praying, I step off the stage and like there's a line. You guys are out of here, you're sprinting up the door. I'm like, no, I want to want another you. I want to want another you. Right? And and so I'm like do I, do I chase? Do I chase? No, because then that one's over eager and awkward and you'll probably push them, right? So you just, and it's like, it's like a whole dance. It's like we're all dating, right? And I want right? But, but there's this, right? But there's this expectation that we have over ourselves. Well, if I can't do it with everybody, then it's not worth doing. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's the beauty of small groups. That's the beauty of small groups. Is it whether you're small groups on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, whether it's led by Dan or Zan or I wish we had some more Greek letters, right? Emily, Emily Ann, right? Right? Like, they all have to rhyme, right? Right? It, the, no small group is better. It's about the relationships, about the community. It's about one another and one another in the living room, right? Number two. When you walk in the power of the gospel, there is an I won't quit attitude motivating your life. Look at verses 6 through 9. Okay, 6 through 9. For each left to bear his own love, 6 through 9. Let, one, let the one who is taught 
excuse me, the words here, all good things that the one who teaches do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, underline that, star that, highlight that, remember that, meditate on that. For in due season, we will read if we do not give up. For in due season, we will read if we do not give up. Let me tell you something. If I would have given up all the times in my life when I wanted to, I would have seen far less fruit than I've seen in my life. You've all watched that child or that person, right? That athlete, that that business person, right? They were so close, they were right there, they just couldn't see it. And they quit a play too soon. Right? A year too soon. They were almost at that promotion and they gave up. Right? They gave up. You can see the warmth of Paul's relationship with the church of Galatia as he instructs them to support the teachers. Right? You can see the warmth. The importance of teaching is shown throughout this illustration. That which is sown affects what's reaped. Right? And so in Galatia, false teaching had impacted the churches. Uh, we talked about that, no doubt. But correct teaching, enabled by the Spirit, verse 8, produced life and good works. And that's why it's so important to make sure that what we're instructing, church, is from the Bible. And then we see verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let me tell you something about struggles. And this is going to sound cliche. I don't know where I got it from. I'd love to give him credit. But God has, this, God has designed struggles to make us, not break us. God has designed struggles to make us, not break us. That doesn't mean they're easier to go through. Right? That doesn't mean they're easier to go through. James, uh, right? Rejoice when you encounter trials of various kinds, for the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have, have, uh, you know, have its complete work, making us complete, perfect, lacking in nothing. God was going to use these false teachers for his glory in the church of Galatia, if the church would persevere through the chaos and the confusion. Stay the course. Stay the course. One of the things that's happened over the last 18 and 19 months, and I think it's happened to, to a few others of you, um, as, as you were quarantined, you know, 18, 19 months ago, um, uh, my family discovered Netflix. Anybody else? Yeah, I see those hands around for support group very soon. Um, but, but one of the things we discovered was Netflix, right? And, and one of my, my favorite things to watch now Right in, in the afternoons when people are napping or do their own thing, right? I, I, I love to turn on a good documentary on Netflix. There's some really good ones out there. Documentaries, docu-series, right? All these different things, right? And, and, and there's some really good ones out there. Two in particular that I've watched, one about, about Navy SEALs training, and then there's one about these para-jumpers, right? That like, 
jump out of airplanes and they just, I mean, they're, they're intense, right? They're intense, these para-jumpers. Um, and, and their motto, these para-jumpers, their motto is that others might live. I love that motto, right? That others might live. And in the training, right, they start with 30, 40, right, men and women, and then, and then by the end of it, there's a fraction, right? There's a fraction. Why? Because they rung a bell. In both documentaries, right, both documentaries I watched, right, there was a bell, right? There was a bell that, um, that, 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 that you could quit at any time. You could quit at any time. You could give up. You could, you could have a warm meal. You could have a blanket. You could have a full night's sleep. All you had to do was walk up to the bell and ring it. That's all you had to do. That's all you had to do. And, and what happened with, with, with a lot of these folks that I watched um, as, 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 as they would go through this training, what happened is that they had this faux finish line in mind. Right, this full finish line. That if they just got through this night, if they just got through this sleepless night where they were going to get to sleep for like 20 minutes, if they just got through this, right, the morning came, then they would arrive and they would walk up to the commander, right, and he would say, go do it again. And that's when he would get most of the bells rung. It's because people would have this full finish line in mind and they would think, yes, I'm right there. I'm going to go. I'm going to walk. I'm going to get, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to get the reward for the suffering. Right? I'm going to get the reward for the hard work. And then, when, and then when the commander would say, go and do it again, they were destroyed. They were destroyed. And how many of us do that every day? Where we replace Jesus with a faux finish line. If I just could get this promotion, if I could just get this check, if I could just get this person to be my friend, if I could just do this, if I could just do this. and we live our lives, if I could just, instead of in the contentment and the joy of Jesus. Because he's enough. He's enough. He's enough. Walking in the power of the gospel, there's an I don't quit attitude. And that's what grace says. See, grace isn't giving us permission to sin, but the power to overcome sin. We will reap if we do not give up. Which leads us to number three. When you walk in the power of the gospel, you will prioritize friends who are friends of God. When you walk in the power of the gospel, you will prioritize friends who are friends of God. Look at verse 10. So then, as we have every opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Let me ask you something. Do you have friends in your life that won't let you ring the bell? I mean, there, there, was, there was one moment in, in, in this documentary where there were two brothers, a set of twins, and one of them had just had enough. And he was on his way to ring the bell. And the brother came out of nowhere and tackled him. You're not ringing that bell. You're not ringing that bell. Literally, like, wrestled him away from the bell and would not let him 
but it was all kinds of emotional to see them graduate together side by side, knowing what they had went through, right? Knowing what they had gone through, that this guy was not gonna let his brother ring the bell. Let me tell you something, Christian, that's how we ought to be for each other. That's how we ought to be for each other. Can I tell you one of the biggest dangers that's happening in the church today? I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> that we're avoiding those types of friends. That we're avoiding the type of friends that will tackle us and not let us quit. And you hear things in the church like, yeah, my closest friends are outside the church. They don't go to church. You know why? Because those folks aren't going to tell you what you need to hear. Those folks will let you live however you want to live, right? But we need a group of people that will do whatever it takes to keep us focused and pointed on the gospel. The power of the gospel. To be bold and courageous and brave and trustworthy, not for their own motive. Because I've been around some of those people, right? That I want you to be this. I want you to preach this. I want you to teach this. I want you to lead this way so that I can benefit, right? No, no, no. That's false teaching. That's false gospel. That's Galatian church, right? But someone who's trusted, right? Someone who's trusted, someone who's been there, right? To, to sit and say, listen, you don't want to do this. Right? You don't want to do this. There's that saying, right? A marriage that's not tested is not trusted, right? But a marriage that's tested is trusted. I was driving, I was driving down Fort Hill yesterday, and, and, and yesterday, beautiful, clear sky, right? And I, and I glanced over towards New Hampshire, saw Mount Washington. Beautiful, clear as day, beautiful Mount Washington. Guess what? It's covered in snow. Right? And I had the fleeting thought, but I had the fleeting thought. I was like, wow. I bet it's cool, fleeting. I bet it's cool to climb Mount Washington when there's snow on the ground up there, right? And I was like, yeah, probably not, right? But, but I said, uh, if, I, if I were to do that, right, I wouldn't want a group of people that say, I think we know how to climb a mountain, a 4,000 footer, right, in winter conditions. I think I know. No, I would want to go out and find somebody that's done that, right? In fact, I know somebody in this room that's done that, right? They've climbed up to the bowl of Mount Washington and snowboarded it, right? I would want that person along with me to tell me exactly what to bring, to tell me how cold it's going to feel, to tell me the, the level of, of, of hate I'm going to feel towards myself for even having that fleeting thought, right, <laughs> on that Saturday morning when the sky was clear, right? I would want somebody that's been there. I would want somebody that's been there, right? That can tell me, that's been tested in that way to tell me exactly the way the test is going to go, exactly the way the test is going to feel, right? We need people that, put, that have been there who are friends of God to be our friends. And as we help to restore them, we fulfill the law of Christ, right? As love fulfills the law. As love fulfills the law. So, God's calling us to be this type of family. I've got to move on. God's, God's calling us to be this type of family. Right? The type of family that won't quit. 
right? The type of family that won't quit. The type of to be the type of family that won't let each other quit, right? To be the type of family that bears, that walks together, that bears one another's burdens, right? That bears one another's burdens. And in order to do that, I see, I see three essentials for us. Three essentials for us to be that type of family. Some call it no ordinary family. That if we're going to be that type of family, if we're going to be that type of Christian, if we're going to be that type of armor bearer, we've got to do three things. Number one, you got to own your own stuff. you got to own your own stuff. Right? Guess what I know about each and every person in this room? You got stuff. You got baggage. You got sin. Simply put, the most encouraging thing you'll hear today, this will set somebody free. You're a sinner. Each and every one of you. Each and every one of you are looking at a sinner. Right? The times where my ministry has gone worst is when I tried to pretend I wasn't a sinner. And I tried to put a facade up. Right? My first two years of ministry in Maine, I wore sweaters because I thought that's what pastors did. <laughs> Ugly ones. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You will not be who God has called you and created you to be without vulnerability. Without vulnerability. Without a group of people, small, large, however vulnerable you want to get it, right? doesn't mean that everybody's got to know your stuff. doesn't mean that I'm going to stand up here and just walk through my sins of the past month and, and all of that, right? But I have a group of people that I'm vulnerable with that know me, right? And if I'm not, if I don't have that level of vulnerability, I struggle as a child of God because I'm not living the way that God has called me to live. I'm trying to hide things. I'm trying to cover things up. I'm trying to mask things. Right? It doesn't go well. You gotta own your stuff. You gotta be vulnerable. And again, I'm not asking you to do that with your entire small group tonight or Tuesday night. Okay? Zan doesn't want that. Okay? But what, I'm, what I am asking you to do is find a group of people, one or two people that you can go to breakfast with and say, I'm struggling. Life is not rainbows and unicorns right now. And everybody's all going around, you know, getting ready for Thanksgiving, buying their turkeys, doing all this stuff, right? Right? Everybody's listening to Christmas music now, because 94.9 just turning Christmas music, right? Everybody's all in this joyful spirit, right? They're trying to do things, they're hitting Christmas lights, all that. And I am struggling. Only. Only. Even if the source of your struggle is God himself. God, how could you allow this? God, God, why in the world would you show favor on this person? You know what they did. Own your stuff. Number two, if we're going to be no ordinary family, if we're going to be the type of 
a, a person that bears one another's burdens and all, all those things, right? You gotta listen. You gotta listen. Listening is not, okay? Listening is not sitting there quietly thinking of the next thing to say. That's not listening. Okay, that's not listening. And people can tell, right? People can tell, right? Listen listen to the things that people say. Why? Because it shows you care, right? It shows you care. My, my mentor, Thad, uh, Thad, Thad Harris in, in North Carolina, uh, he, he and I didn't know each other very well, didn't know each other very well before he became my mentor. But, but you know what, why I knew he was the real deal? Because I was a 16-year-old kid and he would look me in the eye when I was talking to him like, like I was the only person around. I remember we were at a Charlotte Knights baseball game. I was like triple A, quadruple A, something like that. Really low, really low. And, and everybody, everybody was clearing out of the stands and Thad and I were still having a conversation. He was like two steps up, so we were saying level. Um, looking at each other, looking at each other in the eye. And I was like, this guy cares about me. This guy cares about me. This guy wants what's best for me. This guy wants to know my heart. This guy wants to care for who I'm becoming, right? And so uh, I think it was like two months later, I gave my life to full-time ministry, and Joe Tanner down at the front looked at me and said, you gotta get a mentor. I knew exactly who I wanted. I said, I want Fat Harris to be my mentor. Why? Because he cares about me. Because he cares about me. Let me ask you something. Do you care about the people you're around? If not, you should look at that. You should evaluate that, right? And listen, Caring about somebody, caring about somebody, doesn't mean they don't drive you absolutely bonkers. That's okay. Chances are that probably means you care more about them. And that's okay. And tell them, hey, I love you. I care about you. When you do this, it makes me crazy. But I love you. And I care about you. If it's worth that, okay? Number three. Number three. Agree to do something together. Agree to do something together. See, many, many of us have these relationships in our lives, right? Many of us have these relationships for a lot. We're vulnerable with each other. We care about each other. We listen to each other. And then it stops, right? It stops. There's discontent, right? There's discontent in, 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 in the conversation, right? You're frustrated about this. You're frustrated about that. But then you, you don't make a decision to do something about the thing you're frustrated about or the thing that you're critical of or the thing that you're disappointed about or upset about, right? So you just go your separate ways and you feel a little bit better about yourself for a little while because you got it off your chest, right? But nothing has changed. And let me tell you something. Really groundbreaking, earth-shattering, okay? Nothing changes if nothing changes. Nothing changes if nothing changes. I want to get closer to God. Well, guess what? Tomorrow morning, if you want to get closer to God, you've got to set your alarm a little bit earlier so that you can get in the Word so that you can pray. Right? I want to love my wife better. Well, guess what? If you want to love your wife better, you need to plan a date night. You need to have a conversation. I want to. I want to. Uh, I want to be. Uh, I, you know, I want to. I want to serve. Well, sign up to serve. Right? Sign up to serve. Nothing changes if nothing changes, and we do far too much of just enabling each other and coddling each other and not enough of challenging each other to be better. Challenging each other to do something about our frustrations, our disappointments, our letdowns, our anger. So if we're going to be 
the type of believers that Paul is calling the church at Galatia to be here. Why is he doing it? Because they're susceptible. Right? They, they're, they're buying into temptation. He's already called them foolish. Right? He's, he's already called them out for their sin, for their distraction, for their mess. Right? He's, he's already done that. Right? And so now he's piecing them back together. And let me tell you something. If the church at Galatia, right, if the church at Galatia 2,000 years ago could be susceptible to temptation and false teaching and chaos and confusion, then we can be today. And how much more do we need the message of togetherness, of one anothering, of fellowship today than, we, than, we, than, than they did then? Right? And so we've got to be vulnerable. We've got to own our stuff. Right? And we've got to listen. We've got to care about one another. And then we've got to do something. We've got to commit that together we're going to do something. Together, we're going to do something. And so as you sit here this morning, right, and Paul, Paul closes it up next week. Whew, he closes it up next week. Verse 11. In verse 11, Paul, I just want to give you a taste. I want to give you a taste because this is so good. And I almost did the whole passage together, but I'm really glad I didn't considering the time. <laughs> I, almost did the whole, I almost did the whole chapter because I didn't cut a whole such portion out of that, that, that third point. But if you want to hear, you can come to small group tonight. Okay. Um, next, next Sunday, verse 11, Paul takes up the pen himself. Now, I don't know if you knew this, right? Paul, um, Paul had bad eyesight. Paul had really bad eyesight. And so, and so most of the time when Paul wrote, he was, he was speaking, right? He was, he was transcribing to a scribe who would write down for him much better handwriting. But then in verse 11, we see that Paul picks up the pen. He says, see what big letters I'm writing to you. And so his final message to the Galatians was so important that it couldn't go through a scribe, that he had to write it himself. And it's so awesome. So it's, it's a great thing. So come back on Sunday, 10 o'clock, right here. <laughs> but what does it look like for you this week to own your stuff? To really care about the people around you. Not have the same conversations you've had in the last 10 Thanksgivings. But to press into the hearts of the people that you're going to be around. And to commit to somebody that, you know what, I'm not where I want to be. And I want to do something about it. Would you do something with about this? Would you hold me accountable to call a doctor? Would you hold me accountable to plan a regular day town? Would you hold me accountable in my spending? Would you hold me? You fill in the blank, right? But do something. Because nothing happens if nothing happens. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ because the law is love. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. I believe I'll close with this. Come on, worship team. It's been a hard season. 
been a hard season. And we're still navigating that. I was talking to somebody on the setup team this morning about how this season is not even over. Right? I feel like we're figuring out how to how to live in this hard season. Let me get my bell out of the way. But what I see God doing in the church, and this isn't some huge revelation that I feel like you know, God spoke down or anything like that. But what I see and what I hear in the church and what I see by you coming on Sunday mornings is that God is rebuilding his church. Yeah. And we may not be the same as we were two years ago. I hope we're not. I hope there's some things that have happened in the body of Christ over the last couple of years that changes for good. Right? I, 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 pray, I pray that, even. But as God is piecing his family back together, here at Summit, at East Point, at, at, at Calvary Chapel, at The Rock, all, all, over, all over the place, right? It's at Galilee, at Crescent Road, right? As, 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 as God is piecing the body of Christ back together, these are things we have to get right. That if we walk into church with an appearance of gospel, that everything's got to look neat and tidy on the outside, but inside it can look however it wants to. I can be in shambles on the inside. That's a false gospel. Don't buy into the lie that in order to be a part of the body of Christ, you have to meet a standard. It has come as you are. Open hands, open hearts. I need Jesus. And I need people around me that are going to tackle me before I ring the bell and keep me focused on him. And let me tell you something. As your pastor, my prayer for you every day is that we are that type of body. So what do you need today? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and say, you know what, I, just, I need to be vulnerable. I need a couple people around me that I can be vulnerable with. Maybe you're sitting here today and say, vulnerability is not the issue. I need to work on listening. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you're like many, many, many of those people that I, that, I, that I referenced, right? Where you're vulnerable, right? You're listening, you're having a conversation, but you're not doing anything about it. Maybe your commitment today to say, you know what? I want to do something. I don't want to be in this place and here from now. I don't want to be the same. I don't want to be the same. My prayer for you every Sunday, spoiler alert. <laughs> My prayer for you every Sunday as you walk into these doors or whatever doors we meet in next week or the week after. I hope we're here, but you never know. We've moved twice this year already. <laughs> Might just throw in the third move in for good measure. <laughs> and all the leaders just got really mad at me. <laughs> My prayer for you every Sunday is that you walk out of those doors different than you walked in. Because I know that if you're anything like me, there's still work to do on your heart. Mm -hmm. 
pray that God's done someone this morning. Can we pray together? God, I thank you that you're a God who cares. I thank you that you're a God that cares so much about us. That you desire such deep intimacy and relationship that you gave your son. We sang about his name earlier, that there's power, there's hope, there's restoration, there's forgiveness, there's grace in his name. And I thank you that we can claim those things this morning as your children. But God, I pray for the body of Christ today. I pray for the church. And God, I pray for a deep yearning to be revived in the house of the Lord. God, that, that, that when the world looks at the church, God, when the world looks at the church and they see a lot of things, they see a lot of things. But God, I pray and I claim, God, that when the world looks at the church, that they would see the most unified group of people on the planet. God, not unified around style of music or dress code or not unified around version of the Bible or not unified around service times or, 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 or types of buildings or, 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 or colors of carpet or stained glass or not stained glass or all those little little petty things, but that they're unified around the glory of you and your son and the power of the Holy Spirit. God, that we're unified around the fact that people need you, that there's eternity at stake in the lives of people. And so we've got to get past ourselves and our messes so that we can fulfill the mission and the platforms that you've called us to preach from, to live from. And so God, I pray that as you're rebuilding us, as you're piecing us back together, as we're seeing hope and joy flow, God, that the focus would be on you for each and every one of us and that from that, unity would flow. And so God, I pray that we would be vulnerable. I pray that you would peel back the layers. I pray that you would send people in our lives that we can share with and be real with. God, I pray for those that struggle to listen. I pray that you would break their hearts for people. Show them to care. And God, I pray that we would make a commitment as we're singing this last song or before we leave, we would just point to somebody, have a quick conversation and say, I want to do something this week. Here it is. We hold me accountable. Because God, we know nothing changes if nothing changes. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.